0: Sure. So this is a issue that arose in late November, early December. The software is called Log4j, and it is a piece of open source software, which means it's been floating around publicly available for many years now in one
1: form or another. In this episode of Compliance into the Weeds, Tom Fox and Matt Kelly take a look at the Log4j software and the vulnerability which was discovered in November in attempts to fix the patch. We take that event and have a much broader discussion about the intersection of cybersecurity risk, operational risk, and third-party risk management as essentially are now all the same thing. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Voice of Compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up a piece of software and software vulnerability and use that as an example of why uh, it appears that cyber risk, third-party risk, and operational risk are now functionally all the same. So, Matt, with that perhaps interesting Uh, teaser intro welcome back.
0: Hello Tom how are you it's good to be here.
1: Good so Matt what is the piece of software and what is the vulnerability and why do you think this is uh, something that compliance and audit needs to have on their radar?
0: Uh, Sure so this is a issue that arose in late November early December the software is called Log4j And it is a piece of open source software, which means it's been floating around publicly available for many years now. In one form or another, Log4j has been around for 20 years. Uh, The other big thing to keep in mind is that it's a very popular piece of software. There are millions of pieces of open source software out there that any company can use to its own purposes. Out of those millions, uh, the people who track these downloads Uh, say that Log4j is one of the top 200 most popular, most downloaded pieces of open source software around. And what it actually does, as the name implies, is it uh, logs user activity on a system, on a website, on a web page, or something like that, and it logs it to a remote server. And that is important because you run Log4j, it logs all this activity, your system crashes, you can say, aha, We'll just pull up the records that have been stored on another server and we can figure out what went wrong. That's how it's supposed to work. However, uh, in November, a researcher from, from China, he discovered that at least since 2013, there was a glitch, a vulnerability in log4j that would allow a clever hacker to insert a string of text into like a web field or something like that. And Log4j wouldn't interpret that as a transaction to be recorded. It would interpret that text as a command to obey, which would, long story short, let the attacker, they insert that piece of text, command, bogus uh, entry into Log4j. It connects your server back to a remote server controlled by the attackers, who can then take over your system remotely and cause all sorts of mischief from there they could steal data they could alter financial records in theory they could even wire a uh, they could execute a wire transfer of your money from your finance system to parts unknown all sorts of stuff could happen if you leave this log 4j vulnerability unpatched and as i said people found this out in november so the open source community announced this to the world in December. We have this log4j problem. And, community, here's the patch that you should download immediately to solve it. And since then, Tom, there's been this arms race going on between companies that are running around trying to find every instance of Log4j that might be in your enterprise, on your systems, on your vendor systems, on systems your employees might be using at home because they're working on their personal devices, even when they're saying they're not, they're not supposed to. You have to eradicate it as quickly as possible. On the other side, the hackers are running around the, the internet trying to figure out every single instance of unpatched Log4j And they, aha, now I can execute it here. I can get into this system before they seal it up. And there's been this arms race going on, Tom. And the reason I think this is a compliance issue is because, as you mentioned, it really ties in a lot of questions around third-party governance, cybersecurity, privacy compliance. Uh, Regulators have already been saying uh, you know, you need to um, patch up Log4j immediately, corporations of the world, or else we might take action against you. Um, and there's a whole host of other issues here that I think this has become very emblematic of the sort of challenge risk managers, privacy managers, compliance officers, internal auditors. This is the kind of thing that we're going to be struggling with throughout the 2020s, and Log4j is just a really neat encapsulation of all that.
1: So I certainly understand the... Uh, data security uh, compliance aspects, and even understand the government or regulators pushing down uh, greater oversight over a piece of open source code such as Log4J. I guess what I'm not really seeing, Matt, is how this is more than a cybersecurity risk and how it's tying really into operational risk as well. Well, I think
0: the big thing that people have to keep in mind is that it's going to be relatively easy to patch Log4j in your own internal systems. And you could even say that's very much going to be the IT security and CISO's problem. They have to patch, they have to run around all the devices and all of the applications we own, and we have to patch it. But the real problem is that for most large companies these days, a lot of your IT systems you don't actually own them. You're renting that service from somebody else. If you use Gmail to manage your internet uh, employee email, which a lot of companies do, if you use Google Docs to manage word processing, which a lot of people and companies do, Um, if you're using any number of systems that might come from a third-party tech provider over the cloud, you can't patch that system. It's not yours. You, the company, you have to extract some sort of assurance from that third party that they have done this. And, you know, so right away then the questions become, well, how do you know that they've done it? How do you know that they've done that with their own vendors who are your fourth party risks and so on and so forth down the line? And how will you accept whatever they give you as assurance that, okay, they've, they've solved this problem? If their IT security manager just emails you back and says, oh, yeah, we're good. We did that last week. Is that enough? Are you going to audit them? What happens if you audit them or you try to audit them, but they say no? Uh, What happens if you do this for all of your cloud-based providers right now, and then by the end of next quarter, you've got another three dozen cloud-based providers? And by the way, you don't even know that you have the three dozen, because maybe some of them are cloud-based providers your employees have put onto the company systems without telling anyone. Or maybe they put it onto their home computer, which they're using to process company data, and they didn't tell you that. So, Tom, the reason I think this is becoming more of a risk management and corporate compliance problem is that there's this host of extended enterprise third-party risk issues that you have to govern sort of holistically. The CISO could tell you what would be acceptable evidence for, yes, that third party's got it together and that one over there doesn't. But it's much more about dealing with your third parties, dealing with your employees, training your employees on what to do and what not to do. Have a policy for your employees about what to do and not do so that when they don't do it, you can hang them out to dry rather than you hang yourself out to dry because you didn't have a policy that was sufficient to the task. And that's where I think we're going to see more and more of these questions. Tom, I think last year you and I maybe had one or two Into the Weeds podcasts about other sort of patch management vulnerabilities, weaknesses in ERP software that we had discussed. that They came about last year where if you're not governing your software patches well, you really don't know if your IT system is trustworthy. This is the same sort of issue, but I think it underlines how if your IT systems and those provided to you by third parties, if those aren't governed well, you don't have a reliable IT system and you don't have a reliable third party risk management system and that endangers your privacy compliance your cybersecurity, your financial reporting because potentially attackers could use log4j to meddle with you know like your 10q before you file it Um, they could steal corporate assets from you they could wire money away from your accounts that would certainly be possible that's the sort of challenge we're up against how do you do all of this at scale with third parties when you don't even know exactly how many third parties might be in your extended enterprise because your employees are dealing with them, not necessarily just you.
1: So Matt, would it be appropriate for a chief compliance officer or compliance professional to utilize some of the tactics and skills that are used in a traditional compliance program of identifying uh, and then managing third parties through a variety of strategies such as um, compliance terms and conditions and contract audits, uh, monitoring and managing the third party after the contract is signed to try to use that as a framework to begin to think through these types of cybersecurity risks? Or do we need to come up with some different type of framework?
0: Well, no, I think what you're talking about is very good and correct, sort of at the abstract level, if we were going to write down the best practices, you should do all of that. I think the challenge a lot of companies are going to face, and a lot of compliance officers, is how are you actually going to do those things? Um, If a lot of people listening might have come from, say, the anti-corruption world, and that's been your steady diet of corporate compliance concerns for the last 10 years, you know how you might perform an anti-corruption audit. Um, You could look at their anti-corruption training, and you'd have the ability to assess that, yes, this works. No, this doesn't. We want more here. We're okay with this attestation that you're giving us. A lot of compliance officers know how to do those kind of things when we're talking around anti-corruption. Cybersecurity is really, the technical parts of it are going to be beyond your skill set but the abstract parts of it are in your skill set, but they're not part of IT security skill set. You know, IT security isn't necessarily going to know how to manage or how to, that, oh yeah, we should have all of this included in our contracts that you know we might want to look at your cybersecurity training if you want to do business with us as a vendor. They're not going to think about that. They would probably be able to look at the cybersecurity training and say, this is a joke, this is good, but they might not necessarily realize that That has to be enshrined in contracts that you're going to force upon your third parties. Um, You know, they would definitely have more expertise around how to do an audit, although they might not necessarily be as on the ball about including a right to audit in every single contract that comes along, which I think most compliance officers now, they do know you should include that because – for 10 years, 15 years. We've been talking about that with FCPA and several other kind of third-party risks. So there's a lot there that is challenging. And Tom, the other big thing that I worry about a lot for co- companies is how would you manage all of this third-party assurance at scale? Because you're gonna have thousands of third parties that are providing some sort of, sort of IT services to you or might have access to your IT systems. And even if they give you all of the necessary evidence that's to your satisfaction, how do you track all of that? How do you collate it all? How do you put it all into a dashboard that could then be reported out to somebody else, to your board, to regulators? But more important than any of that, and more practically, is like all your customers are going to be asking you to do the exact same thing that you're asking your third parties. So... How are you going to be able to give all of this Log4j assurance to your sales team so they can go out then and tell the sales prospect, yep, we got Log4j and all that other vulnerability issues. We got them all under control. So you can sign that contract right now. That's going to be really hard. And that's the kind of thing that increasingly we're going to have to need to, we'll need some kind of way to collate all of this third party risk a lot of it around cybersecurity, a lot of it around privacy, fair bit of it around anti-corruption as well and maybe even say sexual harassment that might happen at your vendor that would reflect poorly on you from a reputation perspective, all of these risks. How do you collect them all when they're so different? How do you collate them all so that you can present to others that your third party risks are in check so you certainly customer now can do business with us because we won't pass any of those risks along to you you're gonna need a tech system you're gonna need a governance principle to guide all of that and that's where I'm not sure we um, we're too good on that yet
1: we'll be back with more compliance into the weeds after this quick message You also had a couple of other uh, concerns or raised a couple of other concerns, Matt. One was around auditing. And we've talked about on prior Into the Wee's podcast the difficulties involved in an audit program for third-party risk management on the cyber side. But have you given more thought on to how you could wed the skills necessary to perform an audit with the technical skills necessary in an in a even more focused cyber audit? Well,
0: I think that you'd have to lean on somebody outside of the compliance department. Uh, At a large company, I would say the people you could consult with would be the IT security people, Or if you have an internal audit team that's large enough, they might have an IT auditor. That person would probably know how to help out on this. Uh, You could use some sort of external consultant who would, I'm sure for a reasonably outrageous fee would be happy to provide you with expertise on how to structure an audit. Um, But you first will need the right to audit, and that's going to have to go in the contract. But even then, okay, you've got the right to. Do you know how to actually do it? And you're going to need to tailor that audit to a couple of big, broad things like patch management, vulnerability management, specific vulnerabilities. Log4j is the one we're using this week to point, paint the example. There's gonna be another one next quarter. There's gonna be one after that next year and so on and so forth. Um, but also you'll need to think through what are the specific cybersecurity and privacy risks that I have that if the risk happened, my operations might break down, or if the risk happened, I'd have a compliance violation I'd have to think about. Um, I use this example a lot, but for example, if you never collect personally identifiable information, I can't really envision that scenario anymore these days, but let's say a company had no PII in its possession, you wouldn't have any privacy risks. You couldn't have a privacy violation because you don't have any private information to violate. So you would never have to actually audit for privacy you might have to audit your third parties around system integrity, data availability. Uh, If you are looking to access, I don't know, um, your big new financial plans or your biotech compound that you're researching to push into a new drug in the next quarter, if that always has to be there, you have to audit for availability. If you're going to audit your data storage provider, you'd have to look at data availability and system integrity and possibly privacy. So there are four or five different basic principles, the trust service principles that that's what auditors would use. They would look at it and say, well, these are the principles we could audit against. You, client, company, which ones are you most worried about? You're going to have to be able to answer that. You'd have to know how to scope these audits of your third parties. And you might need some assistance outside the compliance department to be able to do that.
1: There's one other area that you just touched on in your blog post, but I thought it was worthy of exploring, which is the role of the board. Uh, This, on the one hand, seems uh, hyper-technical and an area that a board, a specific area that a board should not have to concern itself with. But when you broaden the discussion out to a wider operational risk, that uh, you've articulated. And it seems to me to be absolutely appropriate uh, for a board to at least start asking questions. Where do you see a board's role in this? And how would you suggest they begin to think through uh, the types of questions they should ask?
0: I I think that they should not get tangled up uh, into the weeds, no pun intended, of specific vulnerabilities that may or may not be affecting the company. Uh, because there are going to be too many, and the board's time is too precious, and it's not a good use of their time. So, I would say they should not be looking for some big presentation about the log4j risk. There's going to be another one next year, there's going to be another one after that, and there were others before this, too. Their role is more how are we developing our capability to address cybersecurity threats in our third parties and in our software supply chain? How do we know? that the software we are getting, either buying outright from vendors or that we are renting as software as a service, how do we know that those vendors have addressed their cybersecurity risks to a sufficient degree that we don't have any exposure there and we won't get contaminated by it? What's our process to do that? What is our thought? process about how it should be governed, who is involved in that, because if it is outside the compliance department's expertise technically, how does the compliance department get that technical expertise? If it's outside the CISO's expertise legally or procedurally, because we have a zillion of them that we have to govern, how are we bringing help to the CISO? How is the CISO and risk management and compliance all sitting down together to make sure that we do know all of the risks, and then go from there? And that also does bring back what I'd mentioned earlier, Tom. A big part of this is going to be how you, the compliance or auditor, or risk manager or the CISO, how do you report all of this to others? Because the board is one of those others. And they're not going to look for a long, detailed recitation of all risks and mediation, remediation actions. They're just going to look for an assurance that, yes, we have this covered. And if you want to geek out on the details, we can. But board, if you just want to see the big picture... Here's that we have it covered, and we have all the assurance we need. That's what they want to know. And are you going to be able to generate that kind of enterprise-level report? Um, That's the kind of stuff that, as I said, we're going to need to figure that out by the end of this decade. We're going to need to figure it out by, like, the end of the week. We haven't done that. But these are the sort of problems that are going to keep recurring. Log 4J is just emblematic of what is coming down the road.
1: Matt, I'd like to end with uh, some questions around the way you ended your blog post, which was tying it to a commercial or business, as opposed to business unit, to a business question or business (laughs) issue. And you uh, talk about how a first line of defense in taming your third-party cybersecurity risks can be a competitive advantage. Uh, But more importantly, uh, if someone either wants to invest in your company Uh, That you want to access capital uh, through the capital markets, through a bank loan, uh, whether you're looking for a merger partner, you need to have a third-party risks assessed and a program in place for uh, that type of exercise as well. And I was wondering if you might end with some thoughts on how do you see this playing out really from the commercial perspective?
0: I think increasingly, solving these problems is going to be a big competitive advantage. And the reason I think that is because all I hear from the tech vendors, and I I talk with a lot of tech vendors these days, you know, they're all trying to sell solutions to be able to, so that you, the company, with their solution, you can demonstrate that you have third-party risk in check. You know your third parties. You've made sure that they've taken all the remediation. And I ask them, well, you know, what is driving the demand in this? And figuring that it would be, well, the regulators are breathing down our necks. No, it isn't. A lot of the people who are breathing down the necks of compliance and audit professionals around this are the sales teams at your own company because they can't get a client to sign on the line unless the client gets some assurance that our third-party risks are all taken care of and so you're going to need not just transparency into your own risks so that you can pull together the right documentation, you can keep it stored, it is secured, and it's ready with a few keystrokes. But you'll need to provide that transparency to sales prospects. And the more you can do that, the more they are going to be inclined to deal with you, rather than some other competitor of yours who has got no idea how deep your log 4J problems go, or if you've really patched it all up, or you think you have, and you got a bunch of emails showing that it is. but. You know, nobody's gonna accept that as gospel. So those are the kind of things that I think are driving a lot of the need around cybersecurity and privacy risk right now. Compliance is part of it, because if you screw this up, you will have a compliance problem. You could have a significant compliance, privacy, or internal control over financial reporting problem. You can have a lot of that go wrong and lead to some very uncomfortable conversations with regulators. But even if none of that happens, if you can't demonstrate your abilities to a sales prospect, they're just gonna to go to the next guy down the line. And that's what's really going to drive this. And that's true whether you're looking for customers, whether you're looking for investors, business partners. If you want to be a merger target, I think if you have this well in hand that will make you just that much more attractive to acquisitive companies, you know, we can go on and on, but there are really a lot of big business imperatives to getting this third party oversight correct. Aside from all of the compliance, privacy, and ICFR stuff.
1: Matt, I think uh, we could probably safely say that we're going to be revisiting this issue in the future.
0: I think so, too, Tom.
1: This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's podcast in the show notes, so I hope you will check that out for more information. Also, I would like you to check out my latest special podcast series, Trial of the Century, the Enron Trial, where, with business columnist Lauren Steffi, who covered the trial, we take a look at the Enron Trial itself. Uh, This year is the 15th anniversary of the trial, and we thought it was important to follow up on last year's commentaries about the collapse of Enron with the Uh, looking at the trial. I know you will find it a great podcast series. Check it out on the Compliance Podcast Network, iTunes, or any other place that you listen to your podcast. Hope you'll join Matt and I again next week for another edition of Compliance into the Weeds. Compliance into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.